John chapter three, uh, I had a friend of mine that said, I think you should call the sermon Nicodemus, what a dude. And I said, that's, that's too far even for me. I can't do that. But we're going to pick up here with chapter 3, verses 1 through 15 today, really with a phrase that is one of the most popular phrases in the church. If you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church, this phrase born again has become just synonymous with Christianity and church culture. Next week, we're going to look at really probably the most famous verse in the Bible, which is John 3, 16. We're going to stop right at verse 15 right before that. So I'm going to pick up in John chapter 3, 1 through 15. And it says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, because the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Verse nine, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So to summarize what's going on, it's a pretty layered passage for us, right? But to summarize, this is what John is saying as he relays the story of Nicodemus and Jesus to us, and it's this, is that to enter the kingdom of God requires a spiritual rebirth of the heart that begins and ends with Jesus Christ. So that's basically what we're gonna be unpacking today. Now, when I was a kid, the phrase born again, it it was everywhere, right? Um, It had become kind kind of a cultural moment in the church and, and, and actually in the world, it was this phrase that had become really popular. When you saw someone with the words born again, plastered on their, whatever, their t-shirt, their Bible cover, you know, a bumper sticker or coffee mug or whatever it was, you assumed that they were people who had heard the gospel, they'd been saved and were part of the church. And then you'd hear that phrase being spoken by, by kind of like famous athletes and actors and musicians and CEOs, right? They would drop that sometimes as they were doing interviews or as they were kind of telling their story, they would say, I'm born again now, right? And it would, it would mean something. And sometimes the church would get really excited because they would see a famous actor or an athlete and they would say, oh, they must have come into a saving relationship with Jesus because they dropped the born again phrase into their conversation, right? Um, 
But following Jesus, and this is what we're going to see this morning, and this is what we see really all through Scripture, especially the New Testament, is that following Jesus is not about adopting a new phrase. Right? It's not just about saying, hey, man, I am born again, right? If you guys saw Melissa on, on Halloween at Costume Capers, she dressed up as Mr. Clean, right? She is not actually Mr. Clean. I don't know if you guys know that. Just because she dressed up as Mr. Clean and she tried to convince you all with that fantastic job she did with the bald cap that she was Mr. Clean, she's not. She's Melissa Martin from Ashland, Ohio, right? Adopting a new phrase, declaring that you've become something doesn't make it true, right? We can make words mean different things at different times. Seriously, I have people telling me all the time that something is like so sick, uh, but what they really mean is that it's awesome, right? They don't mean it's literally sick. And I sound like a grandpa right now. I get that. Um, but that's what, the youth, that's what the youth is telling me, right? My question for us today as we unpack this a little bit is this. Do we have the language of Jesus? Have we adopted a language or do we have the love of Jesus that has been poured upon us and that is moving through our hearts and that is changing who we are based on his love. Do we have the language or do we have the love of Jesus in our hearts? So our story, what we just read, it begins with a guy named Nicodemus who is a Pharisee, we're told, and not just a Pharisee, but he, he's a religious leader at a high level. Um, he has a lot of influence and he comes to Jesus, interestingly, by night, it says. Now, Nicodemus, he's heard the words of Jesus. He's seen the miracles of Jesus, but he has some clarifying questions that he apparently wants to keep private, which is why he meets Jesus at night. He doesn't want to do it in the, the middle of the day. He doesn't want to be seen by the people. He doesn't want to be seen by his peers. He has some conversation that he wants to take place with Jesus, but it needs to be exclusive. It needs to be private. So he meets with him by night. And here's what's interesting. Unlike, and we learned this a couple of weeks ago, unlike the people who believed in Jesus only when he performed the signs that he performed, Nicodemus is being drawn to the person of Jesus because of the signs, right? He says, look, you must have come from God or how could you do the signs that you're, you're doing? So he's trying to deduce this thing. He's seeing this person that's coming, making the claims he is doing, the miracles he's doing, And Nicodemus steps back and goes, hold on. How is he able to heal the sick? How is he able to do these types of miracles if he's not somebody who came from God? What's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't answer his argument like we think he would. It's so interesting when we read Jesus' response to Nicodemus' question. Instead, he gets right to the heart of Nicodemus' inquiry. And this is what he says In verse 3, he answers him, he just says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So to summarize Jesus' reply here, he's saying, I know why you're here, Nick. I'm just going to call him Nick, all right? I know why you're here, Nick. You have questions. You couch them in we instead of I. I get it. You're trying to walk around this thing a little bit. You want to know if I'm the Messiah, but you've already affirmed that I must be from God. So the real issue here is your heart. 
It's not enough to confirm that I have come from God. So Jesus is, is getting right to the point by sort of answering his question in the way that it needs to be answered, but not exactly in the way that Nicodemus is asking it, right? And maybe, maybe you can relate to this, right? Maybe you're not so sure about Jesus. Maybe you've come in here and Jesus has been this name and this figure and this, this, this mythological Sunday school character for most of your life and it just, his name goes in one ear and out the other and occasionally you give him some thought when I'm up here talking on a Sunday or when somebody asks you a question or, or, or when, when you're, you're, you're listening to something on the radio and maybe a worship song comes on or you're listening to a program and this idea of Jesus or the gospel comes in and it causes your mind to go, oh yeah, him, I'm with him. But in reality, you don't really give him a lot of thought. And in fact, if somebody pressed you, you would say, well, let me think about what I think about Jesus because I've seen the signs. I've been to church. I've seen the people whose lives have been altered by Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know what to think about him. I know what I'm told to think about him. What's interesting is Nicodemus's reaction. This dude, he's taken back, right? Jesus speaks words that don't seem to line up with the knowledge that he has of God's law. And you got to understand about Nicodemus, his position was so prominent. He was essentially like the, the greatest teacher in Israel. So this is somebody that is coming to Jesus that knew something about God's word, or at least it appeared that he did. And again, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that at the end. But first, this is what I want to unpack. What does it mean to be born again? Because Jesus makes that statement a couple of times in these passages. To enter the kingdom of God, Jesus declares to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. So what, so what is, let's back up from that even. What does Jesus even mean when he says kingdom of God? Because as we go through John, we're going to be hearing that phrase a lot, the kingdom of God. I mean, is this like some castle that's like, you know, is this some castle that's like located somewhere within the world or the United States that we need to go like search out? Like, what does that mean? Is there like a moat? Like, what are we talking about when we say kingdom of, of God? What does Jesus actually mean when he says that? Well, this is how John Piper describes it. He says this, the kingdom of God, it's God's reign. That's R-E-I-G-N, had to look close at that one. It's his sovereign action in the world to redeem and deliver a people and then at a future time finish it and renew his people and the universe completely. Let me just say that again. It's, 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 God's, it's God's reign his kingly reign, his sovereign action in the world to redeem and deliver a people and then at a future time, finish it and then renew his people and the universe completely. So to enter the kingdom of God is to begin a new life where Jesus is ruling and reigning over your life because you've been redeemed by God. In other words, you are getting in on the work that God is doing to rebirth a new people and restore a new world. And the qualifications for entrance into that kingdom, into the kingdom of God are this, you must be born again. Now, 
Again, like I said in the beginning, this phrase born again, it's familiar to some of us because it's how we understand what it means to become a follower of Jesus. But Nicodemus, man, he is confused. He's confused by this statement. He didn't understand that Jesus was referring to a person's need to be reborn spiritually in order to enter the kingdom of God. And the, the language Jesus is using here when he says that, it, it just wasn't common. It wasn't common language to the Jewish people or to the way that a guy like Nicodemus would have understood it. For Nicodemus, he lacked the spiritual discernment to interpret what Jesus was actually saying. How can someone be physically reborn? He has. He gets really basic. How can I be physically reborn? Like, how is that possible? Now, was that a leading question so that Jesus would unpack it a little bit? I don't know. Maybe he did understand what Jesus was saying, but he wanted Jesus to unpack it and say, well, hold on, help me understand. When you say born again, what are we talking about here? So Jesus says a person must be born of water and the spirit. Well, what, is, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, what he means is that the Holy Spirit must be poured out on a person in order for them to become spiritually alive, right? You were born dead in your trespasses. Remember that passage in Ephesians from Paul. And there's also some language like this throughout the Bible, right? And we go back to Isaiah 44. God said, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Paul kind of uses this language years later when he refers to God's love being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit in Romans 5. So what Jesus is saying here is that the Holy Spirit has to regenerate a person's heart so that they are reborn into the family of God. First John 3, John writes, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. What that indicates is that there is a family that we are not born into at birth, that's not our physical family, but it's a spiritual family that consists of those whose sins have been forgiven and they've been adopted in as children of God. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus and to us. And the second thing we see Jesus mentioning is that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the supernatural work required to give a person spiritual rebirth. It's interesting that Jesus, he immediately helps Nicodemus understand that spiritual rebirth isn't something he can just go out and get. It's not something he can go and purchase in the, in the marketplace or, or even earn by going to the synagogue, which is where he would have been every week. The spirit is like the wind, Jesus says. And by the way, those two words are, are interchangeable in scripture, spirit and wind, in that it cannot be controlled. You cannot become its master or command it or rule over it. It produces supernatural change in people's hearts. So if you are somebody that's come into a saving relationship with Jesus, it's because the Holy Spirit has done this supernatural, almost inexplicable work in your heart to reposition your heart as somebody who was in opposition to Jesus, who now goes, oh, but I love you, Jesus. And I'm grateful to you, Jesus. And I want to serve you and I want to obey you because I have found my life in you, Jesus. He produces supernatural change 
in people's hearts, in your hearts, if that is you. So to enter the kingdom of God, which is just life with Jesus, it requires a person to go through a spiritual rebirth that comes by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word must is interesting, right? It's important not to miss here. Um, I'm gonna use maybe the most boring illustration I've ever used and I hopefully will never use again after today, right? Um, but Jesus uses the word must. You must be born again. Now, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm finishing up some seminary classes. I'm finishing a degree right now. I'm writing this thing called a dissertation, which is um, the worst thing in the world. And one of the things that you do when you write your dissertation is you have to use this thing called the correct formatting, right? You have to write it in a certain way, right? It has to be spaced a certain way. You got to use a certain kind of font. Um, there's all these parameters and rules that I don't really like to follow that much, um, but I have to, right? Because if the formatting is not right, it doesn't even matter how good the content is, right? I can turn in all this like aces kind of content and if the formatting is off, they're gonna be like, sorry, you know? And that's happened to me like 75 times so far in the process. It doesn't matter how great the content is if the formatting is off. And so we see that with Nicodemus. This is a brother who knew the language of scripture. But the formatting was off, right? He didn't know Jesus. He wasn't born again. He hadn't been spiritually rebirthed. So what needed and what needs to happen in order for a person to be spiritually reborn? Now listen, if we've gotten to this place approximately 17 minutes into the sermon and you are like, man, I, Ronnie, this is feeling basic to me. I feel like you're, I get it. You got you to say what it says. You got to unpack it. But I feel like I know this. I feel like you're, you're, you're going over, you're treading over ground that I feel like we've gone over and over again because I've been in the church. And all I can say to that is um, you're wrong. <laughs> Let me say that to you very kindly. We need to hear this so much. We need to hear this so badly. I need to hear this. I was walking to church today and I was thinking, I need to hear this. We need to make sure that our hearts don't grow dull to the work of Jesus and how radical and how renewing and how restorative this work is. So we don't want to let like something like this, oh man, it's a gospel message. And Ronnie's talking about what it means to be spiritually reborn and blah, 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 blah. We don't want that to get dull in our hearts. We want to pray that God would renew this truth in us like it was going to be renewed and restored in Nicodemus. So what needs to happen in order for a person to be spiritually reborn? Well, the first thing is that Jesus had to be lifted up. Jesus has to be lifted up, and he was, but at this time he hadn't yet been. And so he, he references the story of Moses and the serpent back in Numbers, let's turn there, Numbers chapter 21, to point out to Nicodemus, a guy that would have been really familiar with the book of Numbers, what it was that he was talking about. So it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, from the very beginning. And we're gonna go to verse 20, chapter 21. And listen to this story. 
This is the story of the Mo- Moses and the Israelites. It's the Exodus. It means they're being delivered from Egypt. They're getting to the promised land. All kinds of complications. Everything's going wrong the whole time. It's like every family vacation you take, right? Um, and listen to what it says in, ch- in verse 4, chapter 21. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. It's so weird of people to become impatient. Um, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, there is no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take these servants away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Well, that's strange. That's strange. God does things that we think are strange because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways, right? So we're, we're strange, actually, not him, right? Um, the people had to look at the bronze serpent that had been lifted up in order to be healed from their sin that they'd committed against God. So Jesus uses this sad moment, this really tragic moment in the history of the Israelites to point out to Nicodemus that the Messiah has to be lifted up on a cross so that all who look to him might be saved. Jesus is giving Nicodemus a preview of his coming crucifixion, which was God's plan, which was God's activation plan for our spiritual rebirth. There is no other way, is what Jesus is pointing out. There is no other way for our soul and our body to find the healing that our fallen condition has produced. There is no other way for our heart's greatest longing to be met, which is to have peace with God. Jesus had to be lifted up. That's what he's pointing out to Nicodemus. That's what he's saying is coming in order for someone to be spiritually reborn. What's the next part of that? What's the next thing that's necessary? Well, Jesus had to be lifted up, but we have to believe in Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus. Nicodemus, he asks a great question. He says, how can these things be? How can these things be? What are you getting at, Jesus? How is what you're talking about even possible? And here's what's interesting about Jesus' response. He doesn't really shame Nicodemus, but he does give him a mild rebuke. He said, how could the most renowned teacher in all of Israel not understand the very words that all of Scripture points to and hangs on? Jesus declared in Luke 4 that all of Scripture had been fulfilled by him. The priests and the religious leaders, they were expected to know that. They were expected to see the signs that were going to usher in the birth of Jesus. So once again, Jesus gets to the heart of the real issue, which is what? It's unbelief. He gets to the heart of the real issue. It's always 
unbelief. Jesus is saying, look, if you haven't read the scriptures, Nicodemus, closely enough, why would you believe my testimony now is what he's saying. Something has to happen internally to you because it's not just a matter of knowing the language. It's a matter of your heart being reshaped and reformed to enter into a love relationship with me, right? It's our unbelief that keeps us from looking up to Jesus in faith to be redeemed from our sin. So the story of Nicodemus, it raises some interesting questions, I think, for us. It raises some interesting questions for where we are at with Jesus. One of them would be, do you have the language of Jesus or a love for Jesus in your hearts today? Man, that's a hard question to, to answer, I think. Nicodemus, the greatest Bible teacher in Israel. I've only been able to say that like one year running, you know, since I've preached. You guys didn't think that was funny. And yet... Um, What's interesting to me is he didn't know the gospel. The greatest teacher in Israel at that time, right? He didn't know the gospel. And yet, Jesus had so much grace for Nicodemus. He had so much grace for him. That same grace is available to us. That same grace is available to you this morning. If you are somebody who just, you're not sure about Jesus, or you're somebody who has been around him so long, that maybe it's time to rethink where you're actually at with the person of Jesus Christ. Do you just know the language? Can you just quote church language? Or do you have the love of Jesus? Has it been poured out on you by the Holy Spirit? The question for us and the, is the same question that we have for Nicodemus, which is, have, have we been born again? If you haven't, Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Again, maybe you're like Nicodemus and you're not sure. Being here this morning, it's like going to Jesus at night. It's a safe place. Nobody here is going to judge you for being here, but you'd rather other people not know that you're here. Maybe it's good for you to be here away from all the looks and the opinions of people that you would like to avoid knowing that you're, you're interested, you're thinking about this person, Jesus. And you know what, that's okay. There's a lot of grace for you like there was for Nicodemus. Maybe you have thought for years that you know Jesus, but it's really been a tradition that you were born into and that you know. Maybe you know the tradition of scripture. Maybe you know the, even the tradition of salvation and what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you just know that. Nicodemus knew some things. Nicodemus knew a lot more than we know. And yet, Jesus said, Nick, you must be born again. Your position what you know, your tradition, what you were born into, it's not enough. It's not enough. You must be born again. And what a great rebirth 
that it is. Because it's available. It's available to you. 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's something that you can depend on will be there. What do we have in our lives that we can depend on will be there? Actually nothing. Actually nothing. That's not me being gloomy. That's just me laying out what's actually true. Is that we have the opportunity in our lives to have one reliable thing. One reliable person in our life. Something that's not going to fade. Something that's not going to rot. Something that's still going to be there. Kept preserved for us. Because it's being guarded through faith. By God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed. It's a great rebirth if you're somebody who has not been born again. I would love for you, if that's you, if that's your story, if you even question that after a sermon like this and go, I'm not sure, actually. That's great. It's great to not be sure of something that you should not be sure about. That's great. I would love the Lord to do a work in you. I would love to talk to you. I would love for you to talk to Scott. I would love for you to talk to Melissa. I would love for you to talk to Nora Crumlick or Ethan or any one of these people that can sit down with you and go, hey, it's okay. Let's chat. Let me listen. Because maybe you're in that place and the Lord is revealing to you right now like he did to Nicodemus that it's not what you thought. If you're somebody who has been born again, today is not the day of salvation. Because that happens once. But today is the day of savoring, of rekindling your love for Jesus. We do that in our friendships. We do that in our marriages, right? We, we take steps to make sure that our love hasn't grown cold. It doesn't mean that there's not a friendship there. It doesn't mean that there's not a marriage there. It means that maybe it's gone a little cold. Because the practices that God has given to us to keep it sharp haven't really been put into place, right? Like if you use a knife to try to cut something and it's just not cutting that thing, right? Because that knife is dull. I mean, you don't look at that knife and go, well, that's not a knife. What do you do? You say, that's a knife that needs to be sharpened. That's just a knife that's, that's gotten dull. And maybe that's a picture of your life. Maybe you have a Christianity that hasn't really been centered on, on Christ. It's, it's centered more on the entity part of Christianity rather than Christ himself. Maybe Jesus is speaking words to you right now that is breaking down some of your traditional ways of thinking. I grew up in some great church traditions, okay? But man, the, the Lord has grown me over the years in some things that weren't necessarily wrong. They weren't the most helpful thing because they focused on certain things over other things. They keep me off center of the real thing that I need to be dropping into every minute, which is Jesus Christ. 
I can be thankful for those traditions. But if I'm depending on those traditions, if I'm just skating through saying, well, I went to that church, I was saved at that church, I was part of that movement, well, what did I just talk about? I talked about church, I talked about movement, I talked about tradition. Who did I not talk about in that? Jesus. Maybe some of your traditions need to be rethought, broken down. We need to do what Jude instructed when he said, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Look what he says. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourself in the love of God today. If you're not somebody who's been rebirthed, I would love today to be the first day of the rest day of your life where you have a relationship with Jesus for you know for certain where your life is heading beyond this life. You don't know for certain where your life is heading in this life. Nobody does. But you have the confidence that the love of Christ will keep you and preserve you and guard you. And if you are somebody who has already been given salvation through repentance, you need to savor Jesus Christ. You need to come back to that place where you're in awe of the work he did when he was lifted up. And at one point you looked to him for your salvation. Let's remember the miracle of that because it's astounding, because it's astonishing and because it has changed everything for you. And maybe today you're just a dull knife, but you're still a knife and you need to be sharpened. And the Lord is so gracious that he is not standing back there going, see, do you hear what he said? Do you hear what Ronnie said this morning? He's going, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm here. And if you wait three days, I'm still here. I'm going to say, let's do this. Let's pray that way right now, that the Lord would help us. Lord, we thank you for these words that you spoke to Nicodemus, Jesus. And they're humbling words. They're, they're hard to hear. They cause a lot of deep reflection. And I think we need that. And so, Lord, I pray for those that have not been spiritually reborn. They've not been born again. Lord, and I pray that, Lord, you would speak to their hearts. You would draw them to you. You would draw them to repentance because this is how we know the love of God. This is how we enter into a relationship with Jesus. This is how we become adopted sons and daughters who are part of the kingdom of God, which is life with Jesus. So Lord, if that's anybody here, I pray that they would seek somebody out in this congregation if that's what they need, a conversation. If it's enough for them to sit right now in the quiet and pray and ask the Lord for forgiveness and to seek you, Lord, I pray that you would provide that opportunity right now. Only you can do that. I can't do that. I can only point to you, but you are the one that pulls people to you. And Lord, for those who feel like knives in a drawer that have become dull and unused, Lord, I pray that you would restore their love for Jesus, the Savior of their souls. Lord, restore this love for you in this church, Lord. Lord, let us be a people 
that is eager to seek you. Let's be people that understand your grace and your mercy more day by day so that we are more willing and eager to pursue you as you continue to pursue us. And today is a day that you are pursuing us through your word and reminding us, admonishing us, convicting us of things that we need to be reminded of and that we need to know and maybe for the first time. So Lord, would you do that work? And Lord, we thank you for this work um, because Sunday is a day as the saints all gather in one place that you do do that work. It's not like other days. You use this day very specifically sometimes, Lord, as we're hearing the word preached, as we're singing, as we're considering our lives. You use that work by pouring your Holy Spirit once again on us so that we gain renewed understanding. So, Lord, would you do that work today in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.